you have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi. We're going to be looking at Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12. Friends, listen. This is the word of Christ. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And hereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. So we began a series last week called Financially Blessed to be a Blessing. And we talked last week, we're going to talk again today, that money is about experiencing life. Okay, Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Abundantly. Jesus offers you a life that is more fulfilling and more meaningful than any life you could possibly live on your own. And this is why Jesus talks about money. Because Jesus wants you to experience God and his blessings with every penny that you spend. Okay, and as we saw last week, that doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to give every penny that you have to him. Okay, how did last week go for you? This last week, did you celebrate God's goodness and his abundance when you bought something that you didn't need to survive? Seriously, when you, when you swipe the car, did you think about it? It's hard. It's, it's actually a discipline. <clears throat> Even last night, I was thinking about a purchase that I'd made and I'd forgotten. The kids got to go to a Halloween party last night. And I thought, it was $5, and I thought, God, thank you that we had the money to be able to let our kids enjoy this celebration with their friends. The sign of your abundant goodness. It changes your perspective on who God is when you do that. It changes who you think God is. Again, last week, when you bought things that you needed to provide for yourself, did you thank God? Did you think about a God who is consistently loving and faithful to provide for you? That's what this is about, right? It's not just to come and to hear a sermon and to go away thinking, oh, that was good, or boy, that made me angry, or whatever, but it's to put it into practice, is to put it into practice. In this part of the Bible that we're going to look at today, God is confronting his people. Okay, this is, this is harsh. Like, this is God in your face. Verse 8 starts, he says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And it's interesting because the people respond to God maybe kind of how you were thinking when you heard verse 8. The people said, How have we robbed you? It's as though they're saying, huh? What are you talking about, God? I mean, the idea of robbing God was shocking to them. The accusation caught them off guard. I think this happens to us sometimes. 
Sometimes as you follow Jesus, you might read something in the Bible or, or hear a sermon about something, and you think, wow, wait, I didn't know God cared about that. I didn't know God you know, cared about that. I thought, you know, didn't know. Well, God tells him at the end of verse 8, he says, yeah, you're robbing me in your tithes and contributions. So these folks in Israel, they actually did know that God cared about this. It was abundantly clear to them, and they'd either forgotten or they stopped caring. Either forgot or stopped caring. And I think, too, we also can be guilty of robbing God with our tithing when we're not tithing, either because we don't know we're supposed to or because we don't care that God wants us to or, I think this happens to a lot of us, we just don't know how we possibly could tithe to God. So I want to address all those questions as we look at this passage today. You know, last week I said there are four ways that you can spend money that will honor God. Four ways you can spend money that will make God happy. You know, and two we looked at last week. Um, when you spend money to provide for your needs, that makes God happy. When you spend your money to buy things you don't need to survive, to celebrate life, that also makes God happy. Okay, now today we're going to look at the third of four ways for you to know how to honor God with your money. The third of four ways to know how you can be financially blessed to be a blessing. And this is the area of tithing. God is honored when you use your money to tithe. To tithe. Okay, and so we're going to look at three points today. We're going to see first, what is tithing? Second, why does God require tithing? And then third, how do you tithe? How do you get to a place where you can actually tithe in your life? So first, what is tithing? Verse 10, it says there, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So God's saying, bring it in. Bring in this tithe. What, is that, what, what exactly does that mean? What is tithing? There's a few places that can tell us about this. Leviticus 27 is a really good place. Uh, in Leviticus 27, verses 30 and 32, let me read those here for you. It says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And every tithe of the herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. Okay, and so what we see there is that tithing is giving the first 10% of your income to God. Okay, the first 10% of your income, giving that to God, that is your tithe. The word tithe just means tenth. It just means tenth. And God says in Leviticus 27 that, that 10% of what you get, 10% of your income belongs to him. He wants you to give it to him. <clears throat> and so for us, it's giving the first 10% not of your flocks and your crops, unless you're a farmer. Um, but it's giving 10% of your income to God to show your love for him, for his church, and for his mission in the world. Okay, the storehouse that's mentioned in verse 10, that was the place at the temple where people's tithes were stored. Okay, and when they were stored there in the temple, they were used for worship, 
for ministry among the people, for supporting the priests and caring for the poor. Okay, and so it was gathered into the storehouse. It was a portion of the temple. And so this is what tithing is. Now, people ask the question. I don't know if you've ever asked this question. People ask, should I tithe based on my gross income or my net income? Right? Do I, does God want 10% of my income before taxes or after taxes? It's a good question. Right? There's two ways that I would answer that. Um, the first is, well, which amount do you want God to bless? Do you want him to bless your gross or do you want him to bless your net? The second question um, that, that, that I would use as a response is, which do you want to put first in your life? God or the government. I mean, really, think about that. In your life, when you look at a record of how you spend your money, do you want it to be shown that the government comes before God in your life? I know that this may be very difficult when you think about the possibility of actually putting this into practice. We're going to talk about that toward the end. But again, we're just looking here at what is the tithe. And so really simply, for every $10 in income, a dollar goes to God. You give a dollar to the church. So if your salary is $40,000, then $4,000 would be your tithe. If your salary is $80,000, then $8,000 a year is your tithe. And tithing is actually the practice of the entire Bible. Okay, it starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 4, Abel offered God of the first fruits of his flock. Okay? In Genesis 14, Abraham tithed. In Genesis 28, Jacob committed to tithing. The entire nation of Israel, in Leviticus 27, as we've seen in Numbers chapter 18, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, the entire nation of Israel was committed to tithing to God. And that was both the people and the priests. Okay, so this applied to everybody. Everybody within the nation of Israel. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus came and he said in Matthew 5, verse 17, it's just a few pages away from, uh, from our Malachi passage, he said, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? Jesus is saying, I'm not changing God's standard. And then it's interesting because later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus actually affirms the practice of tithing. Okay, Jesus is confronting in Matthew 23, he's confronting the religious leaders of his day, and he's taking them to task in much the same way that Malachi does in Malachi chapter 3. And this is what he says. He says, woe to you. So he's saying, a curse be on you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. What he's saying is, he's like, you guys are so rigorous about your tithing that you even tithe, you know, the spices that are in your cupboards. You know, so the idea would be if you're growing spices, right? You got them all stacked up. You know, they, they, they count out how many little dill seeds are in my store. I got 224 dill seeds. So he says, you guys take out 22 and even cut that one into four tenths, you know, and you tithe that, okay? And then he says, but... But, 
You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus is saying, look, you're really good on the little things that, um, that, that are you know, the little tiny things when it comes to your tithing, but you've neglected these huge things. You're not caring for people. You're not seeing God's justice done in the world. And so Jesus is making a comparison here. And he's saying, you know, this is so much more infinitely important than this. But look what he says next. So he says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay? So Jesus is affirming both. He's saying you should be tithing, but without neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And so Jesus, in his ministry, affirms the practice of tithing. Then the New Testament church continued the practice. In the book of Acts, we see people giving to the church, again, for the same purposes as the tithe, to support the church in its worship, to care for its needy, to support the pastors. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, there Paul says, um, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there'll be no need for collecting when I come. And so they gave as actually part of their gathered worship. It's part of their gathered worship. And so this is what tithing is. Tithing is God's plan for his people from the beginning of the Bible and all the way through. That's what tithing is. So the second question is why? Right? Why does God require tithing? What's the reason behind it? Usually with God, he never asks us to do something arbitrarily. There's always a reason behind what he asks us to do. And what we see with tithing is that tithing is part of worship. Okay, the reason God asks us to tithe is because it's part of our worship of him. Okay, the tithe, the concept of a tithe, it was representative of the whole. Okay, the idea, you know, some ways, the idea of a down payment, it it sort of calls to mind. The idea was that tithing was the way that you showed God that you were devoted to him in every part of your finances. Okay, you give 10% to him showing that God owns it all. That you are responsible to God for everything that you have. Okay, it doesn't mean you give it to him, but that you're going to honor him with all of it. And so if you gave 10%, what you're saying is, God, I want to honor you with my entire financial life. That was the significance of the tithe. Because when you do that, when you give 10% of your income to God, what you're saying is, you're saying, God, I am thankful. I'm thankful to you for the life that you've given me. I'm thankful for the health that I have. I'm thankful for the intelligence that I have. I'm thankful, Lord, that you have given me this job that I have where I can earn money. Apart from you and your goodness, God, I would have nothing. It all flows from you and your goodness and your abundant desire to be generous with me. And I'm acknowledging that when I give. So I'm going to honor you by returning the part of this income that you've asked for. It's an act of worship. It's an act of worship to do that. 
Right? You are saying, God, you are so important in my life that I'm going to give you what you've asked for. Now, to not tithe is actually to experience a curse. Look at verse 9. God says, you are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me. Now, what is this curse? I think, I think all of us have experienced it to some degree, this curse. This is the curse of going to bed worrying about money. This is the curse of arguing with your spouse over finances. This is the curse of always feeling like you never have enough. This is part of the curse. Now, God made it really clear to the nation of Israel. If you read Leviticus chapter 26 or Deuteronomy chapter 28, that if Israel stopped being faithful to him, if they wandered away from him and stopped living their lives in a relationship with him, then they also were going to experience a curse. And part of that curse meant, or part of that curse, God says explicitly, the heavens are going to dry up. The clouds will become like iron. And you will receive no rain. Because in God's mind, the idea of blessings come from him. God wants to fill our lives with blessings, but when we cut ourselves off from him, we're cutting ourselves off from the source of every good and perfect gift. And so it's kind of like when you start a relationship with God by committing your life to Jesus, when you, when you put your, your trust in his death and resurrection for you, it's kind of like a pipe connects us to God. I mean, the Bible uses the image of a branch. You know, we're like a branch. We're grafted into Jesus, who's the trunk of the tree, and the sweet sap of his spirit flows into us, and we experience his abundance. But if you look at this image of a pipe, what happens is, if you are a Christian, if you're following Jesus and yet you are ignoring God in your life, it's like letting sludge build up in the pipe. You know, it, gets, it, it starts, to, it starts to, to, to sort of collect and grow in, and it begins to cut off the flow. That's how it works. And so the curse is the daily experience of that. And so it's not necessarily vindictive of God. It's not that God is up there with a whip wanting to whip you because you're out of line in terms of your finances. This isn't necessarily vindictive or manipulative. This is simply descriptive. If you choose to live this way, your life is going to be characterized by this kind of curse. And I think that's helpful because it keeps us, again... Under, being able to reconcile this image of God as a benevolent father who wants what's best for us but will allow us to experience the negative consequences of our actions if we choose to ignore him in our lives. So this curse um, comes on us when we don't give God the full tithe. I want to share a story. Have you ever heard about how they catch monkeys in India? You heard about this? There was a pretty um, intuitive hunter that figured out that monkeys are incredibly selfish creatures. 
Okay, and so he decided to devise a way to use their selfishness to catch them. So he took a coconut, and he emptied it out, but he drilled a hole, a real, a real small hole in the coconut, emptied it out, and the hole was just small enough so that the monkey could fit his hand into the coconut. Okay, and then he tied a rope around the coconut, you know, um, and he put inside the coconut some peanuts, right? Monkeys like peanuts, evidently. And they put the coconut in the monkey's path and goes and hides in the bushes, holding the other end of the, cor- uh, of the rope. Well, so inevitably, an unsuspecting monkey comes along, finds this coconut, sticks his hands in, and gets a hold of the bounty inside. And at that point, the hunter's job is done. Because all he has to do now is to yank on the cord, and the entire monkey coconut ends up at his feet. Something's wrong there, right? Because why doesn't the monkey just pull his hand out and run for his life? Well, monkeys are selfish. Monkeys are selfish. Once they get their hands on something they want, they will not let it go. And a monkey's hand wrapped around a peanut cannot get back out of the coconut. So he clings tight-fisted to what is his, and he finds himself ensnared either to lose his life or to be, you know, become the, the property of this new master. So that's pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, if you were watching at the edge of the jungle, you know, you, you'd watch the monkey, and if you had a heart for monkeys, you'd scream, let go! Let go! Come on! That little fortune is not worth your life! And yet... For us, back here in our corner of the world, we are prone to be as guilty as that monkey. We hold on to our money too tightly. We want what is ours, and we want it so much that we're blind to the consequences of holding on. That's part of the curse of not tithing. We become more and more inward focused. We become more and more selfish. You think about reasons we don't give. I mean, the one that I think comes to the top of the list, I think, is probably fear. It's probably fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of giving what God wants, what God asks us to give. One author said, fear has always been an enemy of a growing faith. So if your faith is growing, fear will come in and cloud it out. Fear clouds our thinking and obscures the facts. You may know precisely how God would like you to handle your finances, but fear can freeze you in your tracks or send you down the wrong path. Fear can keep you locked in a life and in the lie of the scarcity principle. We, have, we believe this lie, this idea that the more you give away, the less you will have. That's a lie. It's a lie. The only way to break out of the trap, to break out of that lie, is to open your hand and begin giving. Is to open your hand and begin giving. 
And so we tithe because it's represent it's worship. We tithe because we're under a curse when we don't. Um, we also tithe because the church is a co-op, right? Many of you have heard of, of the concept of a co-op. There's co-ops all over San Diego, right? There's co-ops for food where local farmers cooperate with local buyers, right? Where people will pay a certain amount of money every month and farmers that live just in the outskirts of town will bring their, their crops in so that you can buy really whatever you want, but freshly, you know, freshly grown, locally grown, organically grown, healthy food, and you can support a local farmer and keep them in business. So you get good food, they get, you know, they, they get to, their, their needs get met. It's a co-op, right? There's co-ops for food. There's co-ops for education, right? Families get together, and either in, as their, as their primary schooling or as a supplement to their schooling, they kind of share educational. They cooperate educationally. Um, or people start schools, right? I mean, you, you kind of get the idea. Entertainment sometimes operates in a co-op. Um, and the idea of a co-op is that people support the co-op and they benefit from it, right? It makes sense. You participate in it, you support it because you get the benefit from it. And that's how tithing works in the church. The church is a co-op, right? You benefit from being part of the family of God here at this church, and so God is saying, your tithe is the way that you participate, that you support the ability of the church to continue to do what it does. That's how tithing works in the church. You know, the vision that we have, right, this year, the idea of being blessed so that we might be a blessing to others. Like, this happens because of your support. This can happen because you cooperate with the family, with your tithes. Um, the idea for us is that we want to see every single one of us understand the blessings of God this year in ways you never understood them before. I want you to understand God's blessings in your life, to really experience on a daily basis what it's like to have an ongoing living relationship with the God of the universe. We want you to live that life of blessing. And not just for its own sake, but then we want, we want you, every one of you, to grow to the place where this year you are able to share with other people what those blessings are like. So that you can be a blessing to others this year. So you can help other Christians here in the family to grow in their relationship with God. You know, that God would use you in that way. Or that he would use you to be a blessing to others. And then that you would share and lead somebody else to understand what it means to be a Christian and how to follow Jesus. Right? This is what we're all about this year. And as you give your tithes to the church, we will make that happen. The money that you invest, the money that you give in your tithes goes toward that. And the idea of tithing really is a blessing. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you do that, you understand it, right? When you spend money on things in life, um, more often than not, those things don't last. But there's something that's really, really interesting. I remember, um, it wasn't this year, I think it was a year ago, um, when my birthday came around. Oh, no, 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 it was, it was, like, it was two years ago. 
my birthday came around and I was given money. You know, parents, you know, relatives, they give you gifts, they give you money. And so I got this money. And I remember this one particular year, um, we had gotten a letter from one of our nieces. She was going on a missions trip and she needed money. Um, and then somebody else had a need. There were three particular needs that I used my birthday money to, to give to. Okay? And I could still tell you, if you come up asking me afterwards, I can tell you exactly where that money went. I got to participate in the blessing of sending my niece on a missions trip. I got the blessing of letting a couple go out to dinner that would not have been able to afford to go out to dinner without the gift that I gave them. And that's kind of the magic of giving. Because when you give, what you give to, that lasts forever. Right? The shirt that I bought the year after, I don't even know if I have the shirt anymore. Darn styles, you know, they go out, you know. Um, but when you give, it lasts forever. It really is a blessing. It's not just manipulation. It really is a blessing to give. Because what you give lasts forever. What you give, you get to participate in, like you played a part in what happens with your gifts. So when you tie to the church, Everything that the church does, everything good that happens in the church, you get to participate in that. You get the credit. You get part of the credit for that. And that's a huge blessing. That's what Paul talks about three or four places in the book of Philippians. He calls it a partnership or even a fellowship with the folks that supported him financially. It really is an amazing blessing. Um, And then... There's this huge thing. Here's, here's what I like best about the tithe. Okay, here's what I like best about the tithe. Is that understanding God's heart about tithing tells you exactly when you know that you have given what God wants. Okay? I've been in situations before where churches that didn't really talk about tithing and, um, and I just, I never felt like I ever gave enough. You know, no matter how much I gave, no matter what the percentage was, I always felt like, well, but I guess I probably could give more. You know, theoretically, I could go without this or without that. And I just never, ever felt like I'd done enough. It felt like this sort of cloud over my head. But what's amazing with the tithe is that God makes it really clear. It's 10%. And if you've given that, I am pleased with you. You have done exactly what I've asked you to do. And I have experienced that to be a blessing. Because I know, I know for sure that I am doing what God has asked me to do. The confidence, the assurance, the security that I feel with that is a blessing. Is a blessing from that. So, uh, this is probably the time where I should talk a little bit about our church's financial needs. Right? This idea of a co-op, right? We, we actually do have needs. Our church, we, we print the needs in the back of the bulletin each week. Um, you can see them there. Or we, we have some significant financial needs. Um, I don't know, um, I, I don't see the giving records from anybody in the church. Our finance team has kept me from that. And, so, and, and for that, I'm, I'm thankful. Um, and so I don't know if our need is because we haven't budgeted wisely or if it's because some of us are not giving what they should be giving. 
Okay? I don't really know. My hope is that all of us will get to a place where we can not rob God. Where we can bring the full tithe into God's storehouse. Um, and again, we're going to talk about how you do that if you're not doing that here in a minute. And so I want to let you know that the church has needs. Um, we're going to be sending out a financial update this week um, to, to, to everybody in the church. But, but, hear me, hear me really clearly. This message is not about our church's financial needs. Okay, this passage is not dealing with the church's financial needs. Okay, if our church was 300% in the black, right, if our church had a surplus of a million dollars in the bank, we all would still be robbing God if we weren't returning to him a full tithe. Okay, I, I just need you to hear that. Okay, because again, this isn't about our church's needs. This is about you experiencing God. This is about you following what his desire is for you. Experiencing the blessings, not being the monkey with, a, with two coconuts that you're walking around with in your life. Right? But living a generous life that demonstrates that God is first in your life. You need that more than the church needs your giving. Okay? Not much more. <laughs> but, I mean, because God's designed it this way, because the church is a co-op. And so, again, this is about you and your heart and you and your relationship with God. My desire is that you would experience the blessing, the blessing of what tithing can do in your life. And so, this is why, why God requires tithing. Um, our last point is how. Right, how do I tithe? How do I tithe? We're going to, be, we're going to start simple, and then we'll get a little bit more, um, more involved. So just simply put, when you get paid, give 10% back to God through the church. Okay, that's how you tithe. And when you do that, do it as an act of worship. Okay, do it. Think about it as an act of worship. You want to let the act involve your knowing, your being, and your doing. Okay, so it's not just the act of giving, but in your mind, realize that you're giving because you want to honor God. In your heart, give out of love for him. Right, so knowing, being, and doing. Now, there's lots of ways that people give their tithes at Harbor. Right? Some people use the offering boxes on either side of the theater. Either before the service, after the service, they drop their offerings in the box. They put their tithes there. Um, some people mail their tithes to the office. Just easier, write the check while they're doing their finances, they drop it in the mail, they send it off. Some people give online through our website, um, and other people um, give their tithes to electronic funds transfer. Okay, we also have people that donate stocks, things like that. Um, and so there's lots of ways that you can give your tithe, but however you make your tithe, however you tithe, you want to make sure that your, your tithing is an act of worship. Okay? And this, this spoke to me as I was getting ready for this message because this passage says to not tithe is to rob God. But I think there's ways that we can tithe and rob ourselves. Um, and what I mean by that is that we do electronic funds transfer with our tithing because it's just simple that way. It's online. It happens automatically. We don't even have to think about it. And that's the problem is that we tithe and we don't think about it. 
We don't think about it. And so it's good because we're giving, but the challenge is, the challenge for us is that when we give, that we do stop and think about what we're doing. Okay, not to pat ourselves on the back, but to rejoice in the God that we love, the God that we're devoted to. And so when you write that check, right, if that's how you tithe, just think about it and pray, God, thank you for being a God who is worth everything. God, I'm giving this to you because I love you and I'm devoted to you. Right? If you're online initiating your, your funds transfer, right, as you go with your mouse to click on the button to say submit, I'm serious. Just at that moment, stop and pray and give thanks. Turn that act into an act of worship. Let it be an act of worship for you. Because when you think about it, then it changes your heart. It changes your heart. <clears throat> so, how do I get there from where I am? Right? If I'm not tithing now, and the idea of giving 10% to the Lord, you know, returning the full tithe to Him, absolutely terrifies me. There's no way on earth I could possibly get there. Are you kidding me? That's absolutely mind-boggling and nuts. Right? If that's how you're feeling, what do you do? Let's talk about that. I think that you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision in your mind, a conviction in your heart, that you don't want to rob God anymore. Okay? That's where it starts. It starts with a decision that I'm going to follow and do what God asks me to do. Um, It's a conviction that says, you know what? I want to live as though everything I have comes from God. I want to live in that recognition. And I want to offer God back what he's asking for. That's where it starts. Because the main reason why people can't afford to tithe, okay, and I get that. The the reason most people feel like they can't afford to tithe is because they've made financial decisions for some period of time thinking that God didn't care about their money or that God didn't need or didn't ask for a tithe. You know, you've, you make decisions based on a certain percentage of the money that you have. You know, most of us are really good about giving the government its share because we know the consequences if we don't. Um, and so it begins with just making a decision. You want to ask yourself, okay, what would I need to do? What things would need to change in my life if I were going to live on 90% of my gross income? Okay, so what if, and, and you just, this is going to take some work. You've got to think through this. If this is my salary and this is 10% of it, and this is what's left over, here's what comes out for taxes, here's what I have left over. You see the delta there. You want to ask yourself, what would need to change? And then you want to work toward that. You want to work toward that. Is it going to require some sacrifice? I think so. I think so, if we're honest. It does. I can tell you that the best thing you could possibly do for yourself or your children or your grandchildren is to get them started now. Is to make sure that they start 
allowance, $10 a month, one goes to the Lord, one goes into savings, you got eight left over. I mean, that's, that's how you start. You want to start it now. Um, John D. Rockefeller said, I would never have been able to tithe the first million dollars I made if I hadn't tithed my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. So you want to start as early as you can. And if you've already gone down, you know, if the, if, if the if, if the barn door's already closed, if, if the cows are already out, right, and you're working with how do I get back to this place, you just want to think through. And if you need help, ask for help, right? Some of you are going to be able to do this on your own. Some of you are going to need help. Ask. You can fill out the connection card and just, just say, I need help with my finances. I, I want to get to a place where I'm not robbing God. Um, your financial situation is completely, well, proverbially speaking, your financial situation is based on the decisions that you make. And if you change your thinking about what you have available and what God wants, then there are ch- you want to change the other, it'll have an influence on the decisions that you make. And you'll start making other decisions. And you want to work toward that. Why would you want to do this? Well, God does something here that he does nowhere else in the Bible. God gives us a reason why you should think about this. In verse 10, he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I want you to do this. I want you to test me in this. Now, realize, this is the same Bible that says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? And yet here God says, and the only place God ever says, he says, put me to the test. See what happens if you decide to put me first in your financial life. Find out what will happen. See if I can't be trusted with that kind of devotion for you. He says, see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will, so it won't destroy the fruits of your soil and the, your vine in the field shall not fa- fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God is saying, if you do this, I will open up heaven and I will pour out blessings on you. God is saying, look, I am a God who is abundant and generous and benevolent. If you honor me in this, see, do this and see what I will do in response. That's going to look different for all of us who take this challenge and put God to the test. But as I thought about this, we're toward the end of October. We've got Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas coming up, and the new year. I want to challenge you to test God in this. Over the next three months, decide and put into practice this concept of a tithe and just see what God does. God is saying here, if you doubt me, put me to the test. If you are afraid, put me to the test. If you're here and you're not a Christian, right? this is an invitation to you. God is actually saying, You want to know if I'm real or not? Here's one way you can find out. 
See what I will do in your life if you will choose to honor me in this area of yours. I think life is full of uncertainty. It's full of uncertainty. It's what drives the fear behind our financial decisions. It's what freaks us out about the future. We don't like the uncertainty. And there's really two ways to deal with uncertainty. Okay, the first way is that you can try to control it. You can try to control the uncertainty by working even more, by making even more, by saving even more, by scrooging even more, right? And you end up with your hands and then your feet in the coconuts. I mean, money is not a happy master. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because when you build your life around it, it will enslave you. And if you try to control the uncertainty in your life, that's what ends up happening because you can't control it all. No matter what you do, there is uncertainty beyond your control that you cannot deal with. The other choice is that you can trust God with your uncertainty. You can trust God with the uncertainty in your finances. William Carey said this, I was once young and now I'm old, but not once have I been witness to God's failure to supply my need when first I had given him for the furtherance of his work. He has never failed in his promise, so I cannot fail in my service to him. You got to realize that the God that I'm inviting you to trust in with your finances isn't just a God who is invisible up in heaven, but this is a God who has come to earth to care for you. That God came in Jesus to care for you. And so you need to remember the gospel, right? That giving God his tithe of your income flows right out of the good news of Jesus. Right? The God who asks you for 10% is the same God who came and gave 100% for you. The God who asks you for $1 and 10 gave up everything that he has to show you that he can be trusted, that he can be trusted with your uncertainty. Every time you give your tithe, you place it into the very nail-scarred hands of Jesus. That's where your money goes. It goes into the hands of Jesus. Why would we want to rob those hands? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us that by your spirit you would draw near to each one of us, both Christians and non today. And that you would come as the crucified and risen Savior and show us that we can trust you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to acknowledge where we've fallen short of this. And help us, Lord, uh, not just to give out of compulsion, but to cheerfully give back to you what you've asked for so that we can honor you, 
so that we can experience you and so we can put you to the test. Lord, I pray that over the next three months, November, December, and January, that our family would put you to the test and that you would show us what it looks like in our lives to have the heavens opened and your blessings pour out. Lord, help us.